Hey, it's Junk Band Radio. That's right, Junk Band here. In, uh, hey, I got a very special guest on the line. I'm glad to have him. An old friend to uh, many of us in the rock community, Vivian Campbell, guitar player for... Well, you know, you knew him from uh, you knew him from the Dio band. You knew him from River Dogs. You knew him from Thin Lizzy, and now with uh, Last in Line. How you doing, Vivian? Welcome to hey, Jump Band for- Radio. <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks, Chuck. You forgot Def Leppard. <laughs> well, you know, I'm leading up to that, my friend. You know, oh, so okay, okay. Yeah, you know, right, we got okay. it all. You know, we got it all. You're uh, you're I, quite a busy guy, I must say. I, I've been with a lot of bands. Yes, indeed. Well, it's a good I, thing, you know. It's it's yeah. seasoning, correct? <laughs> it is actually, yeah. I mean, I've had a, I've had a very colorful career. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very, um, very pleased, you know, that I got the chance to to work with so many great artists and bands and musicians over the years. And yeah, now I'm in not one but two very good bands. Yeah, know, it's very cool. different bands, you know, with Leopard and Last in Line. Yep. And it's awesome because, you know what, again, you've got so much going on this year. When You know, a lot of people at, at different points in their career, as you know, they, they kind of slow down. Not you, man. You're just like, re, you know, regenerating. And, you know, you had some health issues before that just it seems to be like that's just yesterday's news now. Now it's like full steam ahead, you know? Yeah, yeah it's kind of the opposite for me. I've actually never been so busy as I have been in the yeah. last uh, several years of my life. And, yeah, it's and wonderful. I'm really en- enjoying it, too. You know, it's... Uh, it's sort of like, you know, and maybe it was, you know, the, the health issues, you know, I had a, a lymphoma diagnosis in 2013 and, you know, to, um, so I've been dealing with that for ever since, actually, and, you know, it's still kind of ongoing, but I've been very fortunate that I've found a treatment that works for me in immunotherapy, and uh, so the hardest part about that, to be honest, is just scheduling treatments, you know, because I'm so busy, but I think it's sort of let a bit of a fire under my ass, you know, and it's just, yeah. you know, you it, Life is always going to be shorter than you anticipate, you know, and, you know, I, I between one thing and all that was, that was one reason, but, but another reason why, you know, specifically pertaining to the last in line project, uh, you had mentioned Thin Lizzy there in your introduction. And, you know, I was only with Lizzy briefly, like a, a stunt guitar player, if you like, for a few months, Scott Gorham called me up, uh, on a year when Def Leppard were, were, were not very busy and, and kind of asked if I could go to a European tour with the band. And, and I jumped at the chance and it was, it was off the, the heels of that, off the back of that, um, that I just kind of reconnected with, with my inner 17 year old, you know, and I really wanted to get back to, to, to playing angry, aggressive rock guitar all the time, you know, and, uh, you know, just to be on stage with those guys and Lizzie with Scott Gorham and Brian Downey, the original drummer, and playing the songs of my youth, you know, playing Emerald and playing Black Rose and Jailbreak, uh, Don't Believe a Word. I mean, the songs that, that were that, that I explored and, and disseminated in the, the formative years of my guitar playing when I was really honing my craft in my teenage years, you know, and, and just to be on stage playing them with, with original members of Thin Lizzy, you know, it, it kind of, like I said, it, it really kind of got me going and, and it was off the back of that tour I came back and I called up uh, Vinnie Apice and, and Jimmy Bain the original uh, drummer and bass player from the, the first Dio band you know and, and uh, I just wanted to play and one thing led to another and we met Andrew Freeman and here we are you know um, second album yeah, it's a hell of a pro- and, yeah it's a hell of a project too I mean uh, Andrew Andrew had called me up uh, Andrew and I are old friends, and he had called me up, and he said, "Just so you know, he said I'm about to become the most hated man in rock and roll." <laughs> and I said, "I can't, I can't see that because everybody I know that that knows you as well likes you as a good guy." He goes, "Just trust me on this." And so when the record <laughs> came out, you know, I listened to the first record and I loved it. It was awesome, you know. And I, you know, I'm with a lot of people. I'm a big Dio fan, you know. I just I loved everything that he did. And uh, you know when when the band came out that was that was you guys and to resurrect this thing initially as a tribute and watch it grow it just it makes me so happy to see uh, last in line two happening. Um, tell us, you know, again it's it's become it's become more than just a tribute, right? Well, you know, when we started, it, it was just a fun thing, you know. Yeah. It, like I said, it grew out of the jam with with Vinny and Jimmy and I, and as soon as you know the three of us started playing, and at that point. You know, we're talking about back in the middle of 2011 um, when we first started jamming. And I think it had been 27 or 28 years at that point since Vinny and Jimmy and I had played together. And as soon as we started playing, it was it could have been 30 minutes because the chemistry of the original sound of the the original deal band was right there. It was immediate. uh, And we all got 
you know, goosebumps. We got really excited about it. And that's why we started talking about, oh, let's, you know, actually make a project out of this. But um, our ambition was was only to just play some Southern California area shows. Of which I caught. Of which I saw. I loved it. I saw it at the slide bar in Fullerton. Exactly. That that was the very first show we ever played. And it was just, we just wanted to play songs from our early career with Ronnie. I mean, songs that we wrote and recorded with Ronnie. I mean, songs that that, that were part of our heritage as much as Ronnie's. And and it just, you know, it kind of grew from there. And we had no ambition. We had no idea that, that here we would be years later talking about not only our first album of original music, but our second album. Um, you know, had I known it was going to get to the stage, I don't think I would have called the band Last in Line, to be honest. Uh, it seemed like the perfect name at the time because Ronnie had passed away about a year or so prior to that. Uh, and Jimmy and Vinny and I, we were the last in line. And obviously it was the name of the song in the second album we did with Ronnie. So uh, it seemed like a cute kind of appropriate name to call it that. But um, like I said, we had no ambition that it, that it would take us this far. We had no idea it would grow into this thing. But, it, you know, we ended up being invited to play in the UK and Japan and whatnot. And we just kind of grew. And then Frontiers Records called us in late 2014, I think it was, and, and asked if we'd be interested in writing and recording new music. And, and we decided to go ahead and do that. Um, and the first album, you know, came out in February about exactly three years ago, February of 2016. And uh, as you know, we lost Jimmy a month before it was released. Jimmy yeah, passed I... away with lung cancer. And that, that just totally uh, took the wind out of the sails, as you can imagine. You know, we canceled the tour and whatnot. And, but then the, the record got such a great response. You know, Heavy Crown was really well-reviewed and, and people really seemed to like it. And, and you know, we, we thought, well, we, we owe it to Jimmy. We owe it to his memory and we owe it to ourselves. You know, we, we put a lot of time and, and effort into it. And, um, you know, we, we shouldn't just let it wither on the vine. So uh, we ended up picking up some of those true dates, some of the later dates. And, and uh, we, we played with a few different bass players. And we were very fortunate that, that Phil Suzanne walked in the room. And, and as soon as we started playing with Phil, you know, Andy and, and Vinny and myself, we knew that he was the right guy for it. And, you know, he's played with Ozzy back in the 80s. He knew yeah. Jimmy. He was a good friend of Jimmy's, you know. So very much cut from the same cloth and understands the, the nuances and of the genre and, and where we're coming from. And plus, he's English, you know, and I kind of kept that Anglo-U.S. balance that the band has, you know, or Celtic U.S. balance as it was with me and Jimmy. But, you know, it's still, you know, the band, as indeed the original Dio band, was was always two Americans and two Europeans, and and there is you know I like that balance and it, it absolutely worked for, it worked for the original Dio band it worked for Last in Line when Jimmy was alive and it's working for us now with Phil and you know it's it's a humor kind of thing too because you spend a couple hours on stage day to day but the rest of the time you're you know in a van or or on an airplane or in a dressing room with each other and you, you kind of have to get along you know you got to have a similar uh, sensibility and sense of humor and and Phil fits right in there. Well, knowing, knowing all you guys in this band, I could definitely see the, the connection, that's for sure. Uh, first question I got about uh, The Last in Line too. Now, the material on this, was most of this r- material written after Phil had joined the band, or, or was some no. of it left over from, uh, from the first sessions? No, no everything that, that, that the band has done, and this is always the ethos, and the, again, this goes back to the early Dio albums, the first uh, incarnation of the Dio band, we would go into a room and write for the most part. Um, when when the Dio band first formed, we, we had one and a half songs. Ronnie had one and a half songs. He had written the song Holy Diver and he had half written Don't Talk to Strangers. And, you know, everything else we built from the ground up. We'd go into a rehearsal room and we'd just jam. A lot of the, the, uh, the Holy Diver album are, are reconstituted riffs from Sweet Savage songs, you know, which is a band I was in prior to Dio. Um, so, you know, and, and with the Last in Line album itself from 1984, I mean, we, we wrote it from the ground up. We'd just be, be in a rehearsal room. We'd play. Someone would have an idea. Jimmy would have an idea. I'd have an idea. Ronnie'd have an idea. Or even Vinny would just start playing a beat, and it would inspire something. And, and that same uh, approach to, to writing is, is what we we used when we were doing the Heavy Crown album with Jimmy and, and what we've done with Phil. You know, when Phil was on tour with the band uh, back in 2016, 2017. You know, uh, 
he and I were having a drink at a hotel bar somewhere in Europe, and, and he said, I got some songs I'd really like to play you guys for the next album. I said, well, I, said, I appreciate that, Phil, but that, that's not how we work. I, and I kind of explained it. We go in and we just, we grow it organically, you know. It's like, it starts from something small, and everyone gets to to throw the roar in, you know. It's like we, we bounce ideas off each other. And, and to me, that's always been um, the best way to work in music like this. You know, you're not talking about, I mean, with Def Leppard, it's a very, very different thing. Right. Def Leppard is a very crafted band. When we write songs at Leppard, it's very targeted. It's very specific. Um, it's not just about getting 10 or 11 songs to go on an album with Leopard. It's, it's, you know, we'll discuss what kind of an album we want to make before we even write a note. Whereas with, with Last in Line and, and hard rock bands of that genre, it's, it's more riffy. It's, it's a bit more, um, I, I think there's a bit more latitude to just go out there and, and just, play and that's what we did on this album and and um it, it kind of it picks up the different flavors of the individuals i i feel you know and and helps to to coalesce around the the sound that that you make uh collectively you know and, and that to me grows the sound of a band you know and i i really think that that with the two album we found the sound of last in line you know on heavy crown there was uh there was obviously some modern leanings with Andrew's influence. You know, Andrew wasn't mm -hmm. part of the original deal band, but, you know, Jimmy and Vinny and I were, and the rest of it, you know, kind of certain songs had really, to, to my ears at least, I mean, I could be wrong about this, but to, to my ears, they sounded like they were, they could have been on early deal records. You know, like the song um, Devil and Me, for one, you know, just has that sort of big, ponderous sort of heavy backbeat you know that Vinny plays and and I, I could hear Ronnie singing on that kind of stuff and I, I think with, with Last in Line 2 th there are a couple of songs that I could hear belonging you know in, in early on early deal records like the song Blackout the Sun for instance mm -hmm. um, but for the most part I, I think it, it sounds like it's got its own character, you know. Absolutely, so, it does have its own entity. But you can, you can, you can hear those influences in there. Is what I was going to get to. I'm glad you brought that up. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Well, when 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 Vinny and I play, you know, it, it's not like we went in to the studio said, "Oh, we're going to make a song, you know, or an album that that's kind of reminiscent of the Dio sound." You know, we were part of the original band, and that's that's how we play. So Vinny just has a certain style. Um, that he brings to, to to ideas. I just have a certain way. I just want to play guitar, mm -hmm. um, and, and you know that that is characteristic of the original Dio band. So that that is inherent to us. But the the different influences with Last in Line are obviously with Andrew Freeman and Phil Susan, and you know Andy is a much more edgy. Uh, singer than Ronnie. Obviously his tonality is totally different and that's part of the reason why we were able to do the, the project in the first place because Andrew does not sound like Ronnie. I mean, Ronnie was the best of the genre at the time and he was a thoroughly unique voice and he, he created this whole niche for himself, you know, in his style and his vocal tonality and then what he wrote about him and his lyrics were very uh, uh, mythical, you know, and, and storytelling and that was Ronnie's expertise, you know. And Andrew's a very, very different kind of singer. He's he's very powerful, like like Ronnie was, but a totally different tonality, um, and you know likes to extend his range a lot. And and lyrically, Andrew doesn't write um, thematically, and he doesn't write love songs. I mean, Andrew kind of, I think you know, and and you obviously know him. You know, I think he kind of writes socially you know i mean he, yeah he writes yeah about what what affects him on what's going on in, in the real world well he's got eyes you know? he's got eyes he sees a lot and he hears a lot too which is you know yeah. that's the way it should be <laughs> awesome. exactly and, and he crafts those into songs you know yep. and uh, yep. and he's really really good at it but he's also kind of edgy and angry in a way you know and and kind of has this punk side to him and and uh you know i think that's delivered not only in his lyrics but but in the some of the staccato nature of, of the, the melody lines you know and how he delivers those lyrics so so he brought that kind of more modern edge to to the songs and phil is a very very adventurous bass player compared to jimmy uh and so i think musically you know phil kind of stretched us a bit you know now that he's part of the band and and i think a lot of the songs um kind of have these extra little musical parts that we we didn't necessarily do on the Heavy Crown album. I, I'd say, you know, the, the one song on Heavy Crown that I can think of that kind of was a little bit more interesting was the closing song in the album, a song called The Sickness. Right. Um, whereas on, on the two album, I, I feel like there's 
three or four songs that are that intricate and that involved and that ambitious, you know. And so I think Phil kind of has pushed us a bit in that direction and uh, made us a bit more uh, interesting, perhaps, you know. I, I don't know what the right adjective is for it. But, but all in all, I mean, the two album does really sound like, like we've, like a band finding its sound, which is another reason why I elected to call it two. Um, I have a couple of reasons. That was one, obviously, because it really feels like we've, we found our identity with this album, like it's a band's second album, and that's normally when bands find their feet. Um, and and the, the second reason I wanted to call it two was just, uh, as I was saying earlier, because the name of the band, Last in Line, there is still a certain uh, element of confusion around that to the casual fan who's maybe not familiar with the history of the band and the origins. Um, that I didn't want to give it another name title like we had with Heavy Crown. I just wanted to simplify it, you know, and, and you don't get much more symbols than two. <laughs> and I know it's not an original title by any means, you know, but but I still just thought it was appropriate at this time. Well, guys like me are, are, are here to help you clear that up, okay? Just so you know. <laughs> so let's jump into it. Um, I, you know, the first single is Landslide. Um, tell us a little bit about that song. Um, it was one of the... Not the first song we wrote, but it was, it was one of the earlier ones. Um, I, I was goofing off in in the rehearsal room and, and playing with the toggle switch on the Les Paul and, and doing that sort of staccato thing that's on the intro of the song. And and Vinny is always the first to let me know if I ha- if I'm onto something. <laughs> you know, be, be it in a rehearsal room or in a dressing room or sound check, whatever. If I'm doing something that catches his ear, he always goes, "Hey." What's, that's cool. That's cool. Let's let's play with that. So, whereas with me, I would do something and then, you know, just kind of move on and forget about it. But Vinny is great about recording stuff mm-hmm. on his phone as we go around the world playing shows. And he, you know, I'll play something. He'll go, oh, I got to record that. And then, because I forget about it, and then Vinny will play it for me about six or twelve months later, and we'll go, oh yeah, that's nice. Let's work on that riff. So, um, I was kind of goofing around with that, and we just kind of launched into it. You know, Vinny just started playing the beat. Um, and and like like so many of the songs, not all of them, but most of them, we just kind of we kind of get there. We just kind of fall into these different things, and and within a few minutes, we come up with something that's a bit of a building block, and we just take it from there. Like, what does this sound like to you? Does this sound like an intro? Does it sound like a chorus? Does it sound like a verse? Does it sound like a middle eight? You know, and and we we take it from there. We kind of decide what that would be. Um, uh, Frequently, you know, because Andrew lives in Vegas now, you know, and the rest of us are L.A. area, for the most part, that um, Andrew wasn't always there when we were initially crafting the idea. So we kind of have to think, put ourselves in his shoes for a minute and think, well, it, would Andrew be able to sing over this as a verse? And anyway, long story short, whatever we do, you know, Phil would always record it at the end of the day. We do a couple of passes of it and Phil would... Uh, clean it up, get the best one we had, and send it to Andy and the rest of us. And and you know, most of the time Andy would would take what we would send and and he would write back to us and say, "This is great. I can I can work with this." Or sometimes he would say, "I don't hear this arrangement the way you're hearing it." He'd throw it into Pro Tools and chop it and change it and move it around. Sometimes what we would hear is a verse, Andy was hearing as a bridge or so on. Um, and then there were other times when Andy was able to be in LA and be in the room with us. And, and frankly, those were always the best times, you know, when, when all four of us are there and, and he can give us immediate feedback on it. But it was all done kind of piecemeal, you know, as indeed the Heavy Crown album was done the same, given everyone's busy schedules, you know. It's, yeah, it's you hard guys, to find yeah. time when we're all together. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it, it would be ideal to think you know that at some point you know we could actually write and record an album the way the way we did back in the 80s where you actually get together for several weeks you know and you don't have to kind of just do a few hours or a day or so here at a time you know but but the business has changed very much and this is still a side project albeit a very very serious one you know so it's hard to find time when we're all uh you know we've all got the free time we're all in the same city and so we can sit down and focus on things well, let's crank it up for the uh, crank it up for the listeners right now. So, uh, we'll be back with uh, with uh, Vivian Campbell in just a moment. So, hang on the line, just a minute. We're gonna go crank up a little uh, landslide for you right now from the Last in Line record. It's on uh, Frontiers Music. It's been released this past Friday, a big day, which we'll go into a little bit more. Uh, but uh, yeah, you can find it at, uh, at any record seller or wherever you want online, and we'll we'll get into all that after this. But uh, yeah, we're just uh, we're gonna go crank it up right now. So again, 
This is brand new from Last in Line. This is called Landslide. We'll be back with Vivian in just a moment. Hang on the line, my friend. All right. Crank it.
Junk Man Radio, brand new from Last in Line. Man, Vivian, awesome stuff. That was Landslide. Thank you very much, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, 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 I enjoy playing it. We've actually been playing that, that song. I've, we've been playing three songs from the new album uh, in the shows that we've done over the last uh, six weeks or so. And, and we've been opening with that one. And it's, it's a lot of fun to play live. Yeah, you, you know, again, as I mentioned before, just you, I, I know you guys' personalities, and you can feel all those personalities coming out in the music. So that uh, that is definitely something that I want you to know that I notice anyway. Cool. Thank you, thank you, so, thank you. Um, you know what? We were talking on the break a little bit about production. Now, you guys have got um, Jeff Pilsen once again working, uh, who, who produced the record. And why did, of all people, I know he did the first record, but... Uh, he, you know, of all the people, why why Jeff and you know his production skills? Well, well, Jeff has been a friend of ours for a long, long time. I first met Jeff Pilson on the original Last in Line tour in 1984 when Dawkins opened for Dio uh-huh. on that entire North American tour, and you know, so I, I've known him since, and I I know the kind of person he is and and his energy. And and when we did the Heavy Crown album uh, with Jeff, uh, we recorded that in 2015. Um, you know, he's just, he's a great talent. He's a great, great producer. And as you know, you know him as a bass player and you know, he can sing a bit, you know, he can write a bit. Um, there's, there's so, so much more to Jeff. He occasionally he's, acts too. <laughs> does he? Actually, I didn't even know that, but, but he, he's, he's a great, great producer. I, I can't speak highly enough about Jeff uh, in, in that aspect that he's just a, a, such a well-rounded musician and, and a great engineer too. And, and has a great home studio and, and his, his vibe and his energy is always very upbeat. And when you're around people like that, it, it brings the best out of you. So um, it worked great on, on, uh, on the Heavy Crown album, and it, I thought it worked great on this record too. And and as always with all of us, uh, it's the same with Jeff. I mean, the hardest aspect of it is, is just nailing down a schedule because he's very, very, very busy. Sure, you know, he's um, out on the so road with Foreigner like all the time. So all the time, yeah, they do a lot of shows year round. So it was really difficult nailing down time with with Jeff uh, all the way through it. In fact, towards the end of the project. Um, we needed to deliver. We were we were in danger of, of missing our window to meet our delivery date. And we'd already kind of dragged it on. I'd kind of really wanted this album to be out in 2018. That was always the original plan. Um, so we actually had to finish up a, a little bit of it without Jeff. Like some of the last vocals, Andy had to do at his home studio and, and Phil had to do some parts in his home studio. And, um, but, but Jeff definitely, you know, put together the meat and potatoes of the record and we cut uh, the majority of the tracks with him and and his input is, is just invaluable on that because he he's such an experienced musician and a writer and you know he he really kind of helped us um trim some of the fat if you like you know from some of the songs because you know the songs were brand new to us we obviously didn't get much chance to live with them before we were cutting them and uh, you know so sometimes you don't always have a great perspective and that's one of the uh, the very valuable aspects that that an outside producer can bring to the project you know when he comes in and he's hearing something with with a fresh set of ears and like I say, this whole different perspective, and um, Jeff was was great helping us with some of the final arrangements on the tracks. So in addition he's, to so many other, is he one of the is he one of those producers that works pretty quickly, or is another guy that you know oh, that you, you basically he, he, take a he, lot of time he, doing? <laughs> he's fast. He's fast. Um, yeah, he, in, in, in fact, maybe he's a little bit too fast, you know? <laughs> and, and maybe that's as a result of him being so busy. He's always looking at the clock. I got to do this. We got to finish. Yeah, I got to pick you up know, my uh, kid from school. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I mean, there's, there's always that aspect in the background, you know. So, um, and and he drinks a lot of coffee, as we yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, you have to. He's always go, 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 go. Wow. Um, yeah, but he he doesn't hang around. He gets it. Yeah, and a lot of times, the, you know, the first six can be the best ones. Um, but it's also nice to have the the time to take a breath and, and reflect on things and say, okay, well, now that we've kind of got a framework, let's go in and try and get a better performance. So, you know, uh, there's, there's always that battle going on between the, the artist and the, the producer, you know. Well, it's a very clean production. I really, really admire what he's done that. So my ears thank him a lot for just doing that, you know. Like, you'll, you'll, you know, every now and then you'll hear a record that's got a very uneven production work. This one is very, very smooth, and I love that. Because it just makes yeah. for better playing loud, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think we all share the same sensibilities about how to record, and and you know, 
or organic nature of, of capturing sound at the source and not trying to do too much in post-production. Um, and the same is true of Chris Collier, who's the guy who mixed the record for us. And, and Chris also mixed um, the Heavy Crown album for us. And um, when we were cutting the Heavy Crown album, uh, we had Chris come down to Jeff's studio, and that's the first time we met him. And he listened to the first tracks we cut, and we asked him to go home and listen to the Holy Diver album uh, and, and to try and mix our records with that same kind of sensibility. You know, modern records, I'm, I'm not a technical guy, but I, I know that what my ears tell me. Uh, and modern, so, so many modern records, not all, but certainly most of, you know, we're in this compression war that's been going on for years and years. Right. Where everyone wants everyone wants their record to be louder than everyone else's. And, and so everything is compressed at every level. When you, when you, when you cut the track, every instrument's compressed. When it's bounced down, it's compressed again. When it's mixed, it's compressed again. When it's mastered, it's super squashed, you know, and, and you do end up getting very, very punchy tracks, but at the same time, you can just be totally losing all the dynamics. And then you go back and listen listen to records of the earlier generations, like like from the, the late 70s and, and records from the early 80s still weren't that heavily compressed. And and you get less ear fatigue. I, I find with a lot of modern, particularly rock music, it, it's tiring to listen to because of the high compression rate. Right, right. Um, so we wanted to, you know, we want like when Vinny hits a cymbal, I want to hear it rise and fall. You know, I, I don't want it to just like, squash and just be. You know? um, so it's, we need, I think Jeff really understands that. And Chris Collier really got it too. You know, they, they leave air around the instruments. We The instruments need room in which to resonate, you know, and in which to, to, to grow into. And, and I, I'm, I'm happy that, that we, we still managed to find that sensibility on our records, you know. Did you did you learn anything new this time around about maybe mic placement or anything like that? I Techniques. I I don't, I don't really. I mean, I, I don't pay a lot of attention, like I said, to technical stuff. Yeah, just make it sound um, good for me, okay? Yeah, <laughs> it's your I, job. I trust, the, I trust the people I work with. You know, good. if it doesn't sound right, I'll say something. But, good. Um, I I don't. You know, one of the things about. Pro Tools and all the other uh, platforms that have been out for the last couple of decades. And, you know, we all have home studios or we've had, I don't at the moment, but I did have a Pro Tools rig for many, many years. Um, you know, and, and when you first get into all this stuff, it, it kind of, the it's a great tool, but so, so many musicians think of themselves as engineers all of a sudden. You know, I have a profound respect for the art of engineering. It really is a skill that, that not many musicians can can master um it, it you know when i play guitar i have been doing it for for decades literally and I, i've dedicated my life to it and I, I believe i'm really really good at it because of the hard work that i've put into it and i understand the nuances behind it um so i can appreciate it when i hear somebody else's craft and and i when i hear a record that's really really well recorded or mixed or both you know i, I can really have great appreciation for the people who actually place the mics and who who carve out the sounds and, and cut the tracks and mix the records and master the records it really is a skill set that so many people think is just as simple as putting the mic in front of an instrument. Yeah, it, it's very you know, similar to photography there's people that have yeah. a camera and there's people that are photographers there's a big <laughs> difference you know very very well put yeah absolutely um, and you know, and I, I kind of feel that way when I go to see Jeff Beck play guitar. I feel like a guitar oh. owner, as opposed to a guitar player. <laughs> Man, what a but tour the, that I was! Think he's huh? the only one that makes me feel that way. You know? What a tour that was this past year! Oh my God, as yeah. always, you know. So something new from him every single time. But that's another story altogether. Let's uh, <laughs> let's play another track off this record, um, off of uh, off a of lasted line too. Pick one out and tell us why. Oh, you know that that's tough because there's not one track that i dislike on this record it's and, and i don't say that about many records that i've been involved in um gosh you put me on the spot here uh, that's my job <laughs> <laughs> um the, the album is a dark album thematically uh you know we live in dark times and like i said earlier andrew writes about what's going on in the world around him and and it is a dark time in 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 a, in a lot of ways but but you know we are hopeful people and and at the end of the day, I think we all like to be optimistic and we like to, to lean towards that sensibility more than the other. Um, and the album closes with a song called The Light, 
which I think is kind of uplifting. And, and that was one of the reasons why we, we put it at the very end of the record, because we, we don't want to be Debbie Downer about all this stuff, you know. Right. Uh, and at the, at the end of, of what couldn't be interpreted as a dark record, there's this very positive and uplifting track. So I'd go with the light. Well, let's give it a shot. Let's crank it up for the uh, people here on Junkman Radio. Uh, we're going to be back with Vivian in just a moment. So, again, hang on the line. And we got some more information to tell you about uh, your other band as well, too. So let me, uh, let me get into this. This is The Light, again, from Last in Line 2. Uh, it's been released this past Friday on Frontiers Music, produced by Jeff Pilson, as we mentioned. And, uh, yeah, let's crank up The Light. So hang on the line there, Vivian. We'll be back with you in just a moment. It's Junk Band Radio and Last in Line, The Light. Direction of the day 
Junk Man Radio. That's right, brand new from Last in Line, from Last in Line 2. That is The Light. Nice work, my friend. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's a fun song. Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? I can. Can you? Yep, there you go. I just had to crank up one of the notches a little bit, man. Okay. But, uh yeah, man, just, uh, that's, again, as you mentioned, that's a great way to end up the record with this particular track. So, the light, very, you know, again, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, and it's not as bad as you think. You can actually have some good thoughts and just, you know, crank up some good rock to go along with it. So, uh, again, yeah, I'm just kind of losing you on vocal-wise. I don't know what's going on here. There we go. Now I got you. All right. All right, I can hear you now. Cool. Yeah, it just yeah, it fade, it's got a nice fade to it. It's just it's a good record. Now you're gonna be playing that particular song live. You you mentioned you played about three of them. We, we haven't played that one live yet. We've been playing Landslide, uh, Blackout the Sun, uh, and Year of the Gun. Gotcha. The three that we have been playing. Um, we are our next shows are in uh, Ohio, Illinois, and Michigan. Uh, around the middle of March, and uh, we're going to add a fourth new song for those shows. We're going to bring out something else from the record. Cool. Well, you can so, find uh, you can find out tour schedules on is it lastinline dot com? Is that the is that the website? It's, it's lastinlineofficial.com. Oh well, there you go. Uh, so yeah, so all tour dates are on there, and links to to ban the album from iTunes and Amazon and all that stuff. And of course, Frontiers Music uh, website as well too. So you can yes. find out anything on there too. Now, if that's not enough to keep one man busy, again. <laughs> As you know, Vivian is in Def Leppard, and Def Leppard's got some big news. The same day that the Last in Line record, this uh, past uh, Friday, the 22nd, uh, tickets went on sale for Def Leppard live in Las Vegas doing a doing a uh, a series of shows at the Zappos Theater at the Planet Hollywood Resort. And that's coming up in August and September. Man, so... One big day for you this past Friday with two huge announcements, man. Yes, indeed. Yeah, so we're we're looking forward to Vegas. Um, it's our second uh, residency in Las Vegas. The first one was back in 2013, uh, and that was at Hard Rock. And we did uh, the Hysteria album in sequence. That was the first time we'd ever done that and presented a show like that. So the, the good thing about doing a residency in Vegas is it really allows you a lot of leeway and a lot of latitude in terms of how you can present the show. Uh, when you take a show on the road and, and you're just going to a different city night after night, it's a very conventional sort of a performance. Um, in Vegas, when you're doing a residency, uh, anything can go, you know, literally. I mean, we can present the show any way we want. In 2013, we actually became our own opening act um, because we were presenting the Hysteria album in sequence. <laughs> and Hysteria is only like 42 minutes or something like that. Right. Um, you did the, start to finish. So, the Dirty so it, Bird. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not enough to actually play. You can't just play 40-something minutes of music and, and call it a show. So we had to build a show around that. Um, we, we had a big stage set and, you know, all the bells and whistles as usual. But uh, we, we had a big curtain that closed on the Def Leppard stage and we set up in front of that old school with a small drum riser and the amps on the floor and no production beyond that. Um, and we went out as Dead Flatbird. Oh, that was Dead Flatbird. I was thinking Dirty yeah. Bird, but yeah, Dead Flatbird. So we, we built ourselves as the world's greatest <laughs> Def Leppard cover band. And, um, that was brilliant. And it, worked. and it was great because uh, we, we went out there and we played a slightly different show as Dead Flatbird every every time we played. And uh, we, we went deep in it. You know, we play album cuts. We played some really obscure stuff. We played uh, we played a couple of songs from the band's first album. We, wow. we played we played uh, we played one song that the band's never ever performed live before. You know, and, and it was it was a lot of work to to, to learn it and rehearse it. Uh, but it was certainly worth it. And it was the sort of thing that the hardcore fan I think really appreciated. You know, uh, and then we went off and there was a video intermission and then the curtain opened up and revealed the big set and there was Def Leppard playing Hysteria. So um, you know, having said that, I, I'm not sure exactly how we're going to present this upcoming Vegas show this summer, um, we will be reconvening again to discuss that at the end of March at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, we're going to be together for about five or six days. And, and I a, think that's when huge, a huge congratulations on that. That's That's got to make you feel amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, the with the passage of time, the more it kind of really sinks in, just what a 
what an honor it is for, for the band to have it. And uh, I really think, um, you know, I, I have a very unique perspective on Def Leppard. I've been w- with the band as a member of Def Leppard for 27 years, but yeah. for many, many years before that, I was a fan. I mean, going back to before the first album, I remember buying the Wasted single uh, and then all all the albums uh, from then on up until I joined the band. Now I get the records free. And a lot <laughs> but, of people, uh, yeah, <laughs> a lot of people don't realize how young they were when they first came around. I saw their very first tour opening up for Ozzy Osbourne, and that was what, 1981? Something like that? Maybe 1980? Something yeah, like that? Yeah, prob- prob- probably 1980, yeah. yeah. Uh, Rick, Rick Allen was, Rick was 16 oh, when the band <laughs> was out there. I mean, he, he had to have his parents sign wow. contracts for him and stuff and chaperone him. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I really think Def Leppard deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Uh, Leppard, Leppard is a band that, that you know, uh, since before my tenure and since my tenure, I don't think that Def Leppard's ever gotten a lot of industry recognition. We've always uh, got our fan base and our, our loyal fan base, our core fan base is, is, has been with us forever and sticks with us. And in fact, that, that's probably the biggest and most exciting aspect of all of this with the Hall of Fame is the fact that we won the biggest ever popular vote. I really think that that speaks volumes about Def Leppard's fan base. And uh, just they how, are dedicated. How, that how, I know. How connected they are to the band and yep. how much history we have together. So, um, you know, but that, this perspective I have, you know, of being in the band twenty-seven years, but being a, a, a fan of the band for many years beforehand, you know, I, I think, you know, I really speaking as a, as a sort of an outsider, you know, having not been there since day one, um, I, I really, really feel that the band deserves it. I really feel that Steve Clark's memory deserves it. I feel that that Pete Willis deserves to be there too, and I know that Joe reached out to Pete, and and you know, I, I hope he shows up, and um, you know, because the early records are, are what started the band going. I mean, that that's the foundation upon all of this. On which all of this was built, you know. Sure, absolutely, and uh, well, man, I'm telling you, the people in Vegas are going to be in for quite a thrill. So start making your uh, travel plans now. You guys are going to be playing the Zappos Theater at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino August 14th, 16th, 17th, 20th, 23rd, 24th. Am I tiring you yet? The 29th, 31st, September 1st, 4th, 6th, and 7th. And, uh, you know, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Beyond or before, you never know. But tickets went on sale this past Friday as a pre-sale, I believe, and uh, will continue to be on sale. So uh, get your tickets now to... Uh, to experience them in Vegas like uh, you've never seen before. So really, really sounds like a lot of fun. Indeed, it will be. It'll be a good time. So, Vivian, I can't thank you for uh, for speaking with us here at Junkman Radio. It's uh, It's been a thrill for me and, uh, and our audience here. But uh, I uh, I want to uh, let you get on your merry way, man. It's just been so much to, to talk about. It. We'll, uh, we'll have to uh, do it again sometime. Thank you, Junkman. You got oh, it. Was a pleasure. You Hang on the line for a little bit. I'm going to play a little "Blackout the Sun" uh, to to lead out on that. Again, it's Junk Band okay. Radio. Uh, go find Last in Line Two. Uh, find record sellers and all the places that I just mentioned. Uh, it's it's out now on Frontiers Music. Uh, Def Leppard in Las Vegas again. Coming up at the Zappos Theater, at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino in August and September. Tickets are now on sale. So again, my thanks to Vivian Campbell. Hang out for a second, and uh, it's Junk Band Radio. Cranking out Black Out the Sun, brand new from Last in Line.